This podcast is a Bendy Geddig Media production. Hello, I'm Michael Sheen, and you are listening to a Touchline Rant podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 134 of a Touchline Rant podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. My name is Luke, and this week I discussed Project Restart with CSK Sophia Gardens captain, Mr. Jordan Lloyd. We had a look at what the plans are, you know, the idea of starting training up again and how they're going to get football back online. And we dissected it and we think we've come up with a better solution. Uh, elsewhere, Mitch asked our listeners to uh, discuss any dreams that they've ever had about footballers and he's had some absolute belters in. And uh, Alex reads to us again from the gospel according to Sir Kevin Keegan. So lots to lots to get into there and uh, with no further ado let's hit the intro music So this is a new one. Um, it's me and Jordan. Say hello, Jordan. Good afternoon, everybody. Hello. It's the first time since lockdown began that we've managed to get more than just one of us in on a section. So I'm very excited about this. If you hear any birds in the background, it's because it's a lovely sunny day and I'm lounging in my back garden. And I live right by the sea. So there's frequent seagulls passing overhead, but it's too hot to be inside. So I'm outside. So we thought a good place to do our inaugural lockdown multi-person section if that's a phrase is project restart um the the latest is they have to wait obviously all these talks that have been taking place with the premier league and what their plans are and what their hopes are are completely irrelevant until the government announce uh any you know lifting of the current lockdown restrictions and how and social distancing and so on and so forth so that's happening this weekend. The Premier League will be, as all of us will, be watching intently to see what, what is going on. Um, but yeah, the current plans seem to be that training will resume in some capacity uh, around third week of May. There's some clubs, I know my club, Manchester United, have recalled a lot of players who they gave permission to travel abroad. So Bruno Fernandes is coming back. Fred's coming back. So there's a few of them have all been recalled back to England. So it looks as though wheels are turning a bit more than they have been. Uh, and it doesn't seem to be just, you know, hopes anymore. It actually seems to be stuff is happening. Um, with then and I on mid-June restart of the league. Um, what do you think of this, Jordan? Do you think it's a good idea? or? So, obviously, we all want we all want footy back. However, I think this is still too soon. I think they're making decisions whilst... Um, Lots of too much uncertainty going on. Um, yeah, same. My club Wolves—they've also started recalling players from abroad. Um, the Inevitas and Matinos of the world are now coming back, so you know those wheels are turning at Wolves as well. Um, on the sixth of May now, I think June is too soon, and um, I've been reading that club doctors have already started raising concerns um if you look in germany when they looked all set to go at the start of may they've delayed again now till the 
25th of the month. So even in a country that are well ahead of where we are, they're delaying and delaying and delaying. So I just, I don't know, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable at the moment, this uh, this current plan. And I think they should um, they should be waiting until the government's next announcement before um, setting any hard targets. I literally, the, the way things are at the minute, I just cannot imagine a world where footballers are being asked to start back up again in, what is it, like a month? You know, mm. it's... It just seems remarkably soon. It's, yeah, they, they forget that these footballers have, you know, also got families like us, you know, they're human beings like us. They're not just there for us to have a kickabout for us to enjoy. This is scary stuff for them. And, you know, they're going to be coming into contact with the coaching staff of every team, all the, you know, you've got the kit men and everyone. It's a big operation going into a football, um, or, you know, having a football match on. If you t- even if you take the crowd away from it, there's hundreds of people still involved and it's just I don't know I wouldn't like to be in their situation to be honest no um, this is the thing is when how many people have mentioned you know oh well you know play it behind closed doors and so on this is like well that still doesn't really limit yeah it limits it compared to you know 70,000 at Old Trafford but it doesn't start it's still the same amount of people on the pitch there's still a bench full of people. That's what I can't work out is if this, this social distancing stays in where you have to stay, you know, two metres apart from one another. Does that mean some of the players and the coaching staff are going to have to be in the stands? Because well, the yeah, stand, how does that work? Exactly. they're all sat on the bench. They're not going to be able to stay far enough apart from each other. Like this, this, and if one of them goes down injured, how, how do you stay... <laughs> You know, exactly. Is, are they going to have to bring water on, leave it, then stand away from the water, and then the player picks it up? It's just, for me, the fact that all of these things are still being discussed and nothing is set in stone shows that they're nowhere near ready to restart this, and they shouldn't be. I just, I can't work it out. Absolutely. Plus, don't forget all of these, all of the tests that are being done on players now to check if they um, have the virus and all the staff and stuff like that. These are tests that should be going for key workers and yeah. things like that. They're not being, you know, burned up by trying to rush football back. We live in an age where we've got Playstations, we've got Netflix. We're still allowed to go out for walks and stuff like that. Yeah, we, we miss football, but the human side to it, you know, there's, there's danger. We need, to, we need to protect the key workers. Let's get life back to normal. And then, you know, football's a luxury. It's, it's, it's not a necessity. No. I mean, Sergio Guerrero uh, recently, you know, was saying that, most of the players are scared of it restarting and I don't blame it. It's, it's, it's scary enough, you know, for me. And I'm just sat in my house with the wife and kids and just, you know, basically enjoying the sun. That's literally, yeah. you know, trying my best to just stay out of it and just let the world go around me. But if you're being asked to, you know, there's this talk of um, this neutral venue, you know, playing at a certain amount of venue so that the, there's, they don't have to travel around the country too much. It's like, well, are you telling me that if Liverpool's playing Brighton and that game could clinch the title, that the Liverpool fans aren't all going to rush to Brighton? Well, exactly. That's been proven. If you remember, just before the lockdown happened, the uh, Dortmund PSG game was behind closed doors. Yeah. But yeah, thousands and thousands and thousands of fans turned up to the stadium Yes. They wanted to see the team bus come in and cheer it in, and they did that. So if you think now, in a climate where, like you said, there's titles on the line, we haven't had football for X amount of time, the weather's stunning, you, you think people aren't going to flock to these places? Of course they are. Of course they are. 
and it just increases the danger even more. Yeah, it's not feasible for them to say, you know, it's basically they're just hoping that people listen and stay away. It's like, well, they're not going to. They just they just won't. There's certain people who, you know, they're sort of the the lifelong supporters, if you want, who travel at home and away to see their teams and they've been without it for so long. If it suddenly is like, oh, I can go see them on the weekend. I won't be able to watch the game, but I can be there and see them get off the bus. They're going to. They just they're gonna. There's there's mm, no Absolutely. And, and what does it do for those communities as well? Who let's you know, say Brighton, who were one of the stadiums that was proposed. Imagine if you live in Brighton and suddenly yeah. these people are you know, Brighton aren't playing. This is like Liverpool versus, you know, whoever, Liverpool versus Burnley or whatever. And suddenly you're you've got Burnley and Liverpool fans rocking up after you've spent seven weeks or however long it'll be then self-isolating and staying away from crowds. And suddenly the crowds are coming to you. Yeah, and then you're forced to stay in whilst everybody else is enjoying your town because yeah. of football games. Yeah, and if they've, if they've lifted restrictions on how much you can, you know, say, go outside, like there's, you know, say the, pub, the parks are opening again and stuff, and you're strictly you're following social distancing, and then all of a sudden, you know, there's a thousand Liverpool fans or Burnley fans or whoever just walking through your park. You're like, how is this fair? You know, how is it? I, d- I just don't understand how it is fair at all. No, I was looking at uh, what they're doing and stuff and started drafting my ideal way of kind of dealing with this because I do agree that this season, this, it needs finishing. It's, it's too too much investment has gone in from teams on all sorts. There's too much prize money. There's too much on the line to just scrap it and just say, no, we know it's, we'll, we'll go again another year. But at the same time, it's too much of a risk for um, going back too soon and too rushed. We don't know enough yet. It's too soon. We've, you know, we've not been in lockdown a huge amount of time. It's still, the virus is still prevalent. It's everywhere. So I, I genuinely believe we, we, we scrap next season and then use the time between now and May to get everything done. And that gives us, low, that, that makes, you know, we haven't got to spend the next few months going, or oh, they're going back next week. Oh no, it's the week after, it's this. We've got a huge set of time and they can start a pre-season in, I don't know, in September, get the players fit, start games again in November and just competition by competition, just get it done at a nice pace, a safe pace. And that way, hopefully come September time, fans will be allowed back in the stadium and we can all enjoy it as we were meant to. And we just basically take a six month break from the season instead of rushing it back and then they're saying no relegations and there's no fans and neutral venues and what I read something about 30 minute halves because yeah. obviously you can't you know the, the, the biggest risk of getting coronavirus in the last 15 minutes of a half whatever the hell yeah. that means <laughs> yeah so you know if we just wait we can do it properly and we can finish everything plus you know if you could you could set weekends then where you have like finals weekends so let's say for example you've got the season done between just the league games done between November and I don't know the second week of January you could have playoff semi-finals done over a couple of week period then you could do domestic cup um, up until the finals until April for example and then you could say mid-April to the end of May you have a big set of weekends where it's all finals you go league two league one playoff finals check a trade championship finals 
Um, and then you've got the FA Cup final, and then you could have a weekend doing the same with like the Europa League and Champions League finals and give these big events to look forward to and just do it properly. And that way as well, then players get a good rest before the Euros and yeah. life returns to normal. I just think the repercussions of starting too soon will just... I think it'll eat into next season if we start now. It will, but I mean, one of the one of the bonuses of your way of doing it as well, if you look at it from a monetary aspect, is that if it's spread out over a longer period of time, because there's no reason to cram it in and finish it quickly, then they could they could play multi, you know, one game a day and get all that extra revenue from TV ads in as well. Like at the minute, how many exactly, yeah. they get what three, four games on on a weekend. Yeah. You could do that so that you've got, right, okay, we've got one on Saturday, one Sunday, one Monday, one Tuesday. You know, just do them, just spread them Exactly, out. yeah. There's no reason. Spread them out. Yeah. Just have a week where each team plays one game in a week, and that's it. And you could just get the leagues done first, get promotion and relegation sorted, then go, right, let's get the FA Cup sorted next. Do the FA Cup. Yep. And just do that. And just do it bit by bit. Get everything sorted. And like I said, you can set up stuff like finals weekends and create some massive buzz about it like imagine a weekend where it was Europa League Saturday night and Champions League final Sunday night or something like that or Friday and Saturday yeah. two big nights of just the finals of Europe back to back it'd be incredible yeah. I mean the other thing as well is that they've been talking about is is not having them in the UK which when that started coming up I was just like this is getting ridiculous now like this is just getting it's like players had voiced their concerns of playing the games at St George's Park which is you know they're not going to want to play them in Brisbane. It's like, if, if they don't want to travel down to London to play it at St. George's Park, they're not going to be like, oh, yeah, no, fine, I'll, uh, I'll fly into Hong Kong and change at Hong Kong. I think it sends a terrible message as well. If we say, you know, our, our football is so important that we will send people to your country to play despite the risks, it sends a shocking message. I, you know, we, we, we haven't reacted as quick as we should here. And our punishment for that is, you know, we have to delay with stuff like this. We have to wait. Yeah. But, you know, I'd rather wait and do it safely than this, this these, some of these proposals that are coming up. And, you know, the players being put at risk, the fans not being able to enjoy football. Let's just, let's just wait a bit. Let's ride it out and then sort it out yeah. properly and go back to normal football as we the, know it. The one thing which also needs clearing up, which hasn't been talked about and there's been nothing, no guidance on it. It's all seen, the focus seems to just be on restarting the league. But if the games restart on, say they do go ahead with this timescale and they say, right, middle of June, we're going to restart it. So say like week of the, you know, the 7th of June or whatever it is. There's players whose contracts run out three weeks after that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so six games to go. There'll be a big pool of players. I'm going to It's like right, okay, right. We've got a few getting, you know, Klopp turning up and being like, right, okay, Lalana, you're going to be on the bench. Well, I'm not going to be. <laughs> I'm absolutely not. Gonna yeah, be. my contract rent, exactly, rents yeah. out on Friday. And you know, by the footballing laws, he even though it would be mid-season, which is unprecedented, he could sign for somebody yeah, else. Yeah, well, they, they they he was on the verge of signing for Leicester. You know, apparently, apparently, you know, and there's also wider field, you know, players like say ones on loan and things, you know, it's, it's the, the biggest one for me, which I always come back to when talking about players contracts is Mario, is Mario Cardi, who's a PSG, who yeah. there's no, there's no obligation to buy Inter wanted to get rid of him. He started the season quite well, had just stopped sort of scoring and then bang, football's over. Now he's got a Liga champions winner, you know, a, a winner's medal. 
But a PSG in the current climate, when they've lost out on all this revenue, really going to think, right, okay, we'll splash out 80 million or whatever on a Cardi. And where does that leave him? You know, it's, mm. there's so many variables now. You know, even at Ch- say at Chelsea, you know, Giroud, Willian, Pedro, they're all contracts run out the 30th of June. Exactly. That's why I think going back and having players, you know, start, started up again in November, players are pre-season in September, that gives us end of July all the way through to November for all these contracts to be sorted yeah. out. To lose sense. You could even open a two-week transfer window or a three-week transfer window. I know it wouldn't normally happen with six games to go, but it'd be the same rule for everybody. And we could get all that sorted out quickly, get moves done, get contracts done, get players happy. And then we yeah, go again. I just, I wouldn't have a problem either with the season restarting and then letting players, yeah, move from there. So Lalana suddenly turns up in a Leicester shirt in November, but it's the same season. It's just, I think if they scrap next season, yeah. I think it makes a lot more sense. That's my issue that there's been in that the, the, the rush to finish this one whilst also keeping an eye on next season. It's like, forget next season. Yeah, I've been I've been calling quite heavily for this season to just be made null and void, and then we go again with next season. But that's because they have they seem to have no intention of of doing anything next season other than playing behind closed doors, and it carries on as normal. Whereas if you scrap next season, mm. then yes, hundred percent finish this season. That makes perfect sense. But yeah, we're, we're scrapping a season that hasn't even started, and then all of a sudden we get basically we're in May now. We get a year to finish nine league games, FA Cup. You've got the uh, European competitions and stuff like that. So we can spread it out nicely. We can work it out properly, get a plan. And even if they want to take some breaks. And don't forget, there's a few um, there's a few nation league playoffs to get into the Euros that need sorted. Yeah. So they'd have to go over a couple of weekends. So we still get a lot of football yeah. taking us through to May next year. Nicely spread out. And then we get the Euros. And all of a sudden, September rolls back round and we kick off the football season yeah. again. And so this, this, you know, this, this, this break didn't One happen. thing that I would... I don't think rushing... No, there's no need. If they scrap next season, there's no need to rush it. And then this season can finish and everyone will be happy, especially Liverpool fans. You know? <laughs> everyone will be pleased. What I'd quite like to see as well, and there's been no talk of it, but I want, I want to try and force their hand now. So any football clubs that are listening to this, you know, there won't be any. But if they're, you know, pay attention. There's smaller clubs who, you know, this this... This break from football hasn't impacted United. It hasn't impacted, you know, Arsenal. We might impact that. Everything seems to impact Arsenal, actually. Um, but it hasn't impacted, say, like Chelsea and, th- you know, and Man City and things like that. They'll just carry yeah, on regardless. Sure. Once it starts back up again, it'll be fine. And if anything, those clubs, you know, United, City, they will actually benefit from this because there will be clubs with less money and United have got such high revenue streams that they can go like, well, we'll buy him because no one else can afford him now. You know, so what would have been a bidding war will be avoided. Um, I've, yeah, and then it reduced fees yeah, on players then, yeah. What I'd like to see is a lot of these clubs having, say, friendlies with the lower league clubs um, and use some of the revenue there. But get them on TV. You know, say Cambridge, just out of picking whatever yeah. team out of off the top of my head. Cambridge United will have been massively impacted by this. United won't. So play Man United versus Cambridge as a friendly, but whack it on telly. Yeah, you could even do something like double leg of friendlies where they play at Cambridge and play at Old yeah. Trafford and the gates go to yeah. Cambridge. It's and something that, that, would, that would set them up. All the money they've lost, they'd be able to pay all the staff, no worries, and it'd be 
it'd be great. Everyone gets to enjoy football. You probably get a few good like surprise results in there, a few shots, yeah. you know. It'd be yeah. great. That'd be fantastic. I think I it's, I'd, I'd love to see it. And then, yeah, I mean, people then saying, oh, there's only nine games left, there wouldn't be enough football on. Well, there you go. You know, so why, you, why are you whinging? Exactly. Chelsea playing Crew Alexander on, on the weekend. Just watch that. Yeah. Watch that. The more people who watch that, the more they'll get all the advertising revenue and they're going to give it all to Crew to keep them going. Absolutely. That's a great idea. Do a draw, like a cup yeah. draw, and then be, be great. It'd be yeah. really good Imagine fun. watching on TV when, you know, all these clubs that, out of nowhere, like Fleetwood Town, Fleetwood Town pull out Man City. It would be like the FA Cup series. Yeah. And yeah, beat him. That'd be a brilliant idea. Well, I think we. I think that's uh, that's enough for us to mull over there. To be honest, I think we've done well. I think we've sorted it out. Yeah. See, look how easy yeah, that was. Look at that. Done. That's fifteen minutes there, and we've sorted it. I don't know what everyone's moaning about. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> we sorted it there. Right. Well, uh, we'll leave it there for that. Thank you very much. Hi, this is the Blender Coach, and you're listening to a Touchline Rants latest podcast, Back of the Net. Hello, all, it's Mitch here. You know, dreams are weird, aren't they? They're really weird. Um, supposedly, you have like dozens of dreams a night, and you can only remember a few, or something like that, anyway. But. In this section of the podcast this week, we're going to remember a few of them from some of our listeners. Um, I put a shout out this week to see if uh, anyone had any weird or wonderful dreams about football or footballers or anything football related that um, they wouldn't mind sharing. And uh, yeah, there's a a few... um, interesting ones that came back let's say that I had one from a um, friend of the show uh, the blender coach um, the official smoothie partner of a touchline rant uh, and he says back of the car with Jack Grealish sort of with him for the day from what I can remember run-of-the-mill stuff great story um, uh, it's like the highlight, the highlight reel of the of the dream there. Um, I did say um, that uh, that I was I wondered whether Ross McCormack was with him at the time um, or Jack up to no good. I, d- I wonder what what he would have done, where he would have gone, um, you know, what places would he visit visited in the car. Would he would he been speeding? I don't know, maybe going like 40 and a 30, bit of a maverick, old Jack, who knows, Stevie D, um, he says, uh, he once had a dream that consisted of random novelty wrestling matches, Um, this involved celebrities and wrestlers alike, one of them was Battle of the Boogers between Bastion Booger and Marco Boogers, anyone who... um, watched um, WWF, now WWE, back in the early 90s, um, was, um, would have, would have remembered Bastion Booger, a very um, rotund figure of a man, bit hairy, Um, Marco Boogers, 
um, less hairy, but um, yeah, probably made the same impact in the Premier League as Bastian Burger made on the WWF. Um, I wonder who would have won, who won, Steve, who won that match? I don't know, I'd like to know, he didn't tell us. Um, I wonder what other good matchups you could have, wrestlers and footballers. I'm not sure, maybe a topic for another day. Tweet me um, at Mitchell Gad or at a touchline rant. Um, Tom Hoops on uh, Twitter tagged in a couple of his pals on this one um, to see if uh, they could share anything. And, and uh, Al Brown uh, 4 at Al Brown 4 said uh, race across the world versus Nazis while on Peter Schmeichel's shoulders. With a Danish footballer's funeral at airport interlude dream. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. I'd love to know a bit more detail about this one, Alan, to be honest. Um, there's definitely a movie deal in that. Or at least a, a Netflix miniseries. Like Tiger King on acid. If that's possible. I'm not sure. Um, and supposedly there's a good... There's a good um, Frank Lampard dream that Tom had referenced, but we didn't hear it. So maybe maybe you can tell us next week um, what that is. Uh, but yeah, I wonder why Peter Schmeichel. I think Peter Schmeichel would be pretty good against the Nazis. Um, uh, I'm not sure what his role was really. Oh, you're standing on his shoulders, I guess. He's saying so. Yeah, he's he's quite a tall man. He'd be quite a good person to stand on his shoulders. Um, but yeah, thanks very much for that one. Um, I had one of my own I was going to share, um, which was um, back in um, back in the day, uh, um, we used to have a, one of those old school alarms um, that used to like you know go off occasionally randomly in our in my parents' house, and um, I was having a dream that I was in the car with my mum, so going towards going to school. Um, I take it, I don't know if I was going to school actually, I can only assume, it's probably one of the main things that my mum used to drive me to, um, I can remember, um, and we were driving down the lanes and we <laughs> came across Ron Atkinson, and Ron was in his like, you know, his beige coat that he, I think he used to wear, did he wear a beige coat in my head, he always used to wear one of those beige kind of long jackets, I'm pretty sure he did, um, and um, we we stopped to ask him for a lift. Cause my mum used to ask quite, you know, she see people walking down the lane. Sometimes she'd she'd stop and give them a lift, which is a bit weird now. I think about it. Um, but she 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 stopped to um, and I ran down the window to see if Ron Atkinson wanted a lift. And um, he turned when we asked him if he wanted a lift. He sort of went no, and he kind of wagged his finger. And then he started going no, 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 repeatedly. And then I start to realise in my dream, it's that weird moment when the dream goes into reality and that sort of in betwixt and between kind of moment. And um, and we re I realised that he was saying no to the beat and the tune of our alarm in our house. What happened is the alarm had gone off while I was dreaming this about Ron Atkinson and, uh, and somehow it kind of got into the dream and worked its way into the what was then the end of my dream because I was woken up by the alarm. Um, 
which yeah was quite an interesting one um and that's yeah that what was that that was the end of the ron atkinson dream experience um anyway um just thought I'd a brief de- de- delve into the into dreams um but i think there's there's got to be more out there come on guys you know wake wake up literally and tell us what you dreamt about at Mitchell Gad at a touchline rant. Keen to hear some more because um I know there's a few gems out there. So let us know and uh and then I'd like to read out a few more um maybe next week. Alright, chisel, bye. Hi, I'm Mitchell Gad's mum. And if you don't listen to the Touchline Rant podcast, he's gonna be very, very annoyed. Okay? <laughs> Apocalypto, football post apocalypto. Welcome to football post apocalypto. The football landscape has been shifted. Pray silence, please. For football post apocalypto. This little extract is from the chapter called Capturing the Cream. The fans had to be patient until June for a replacement for Andy Cole. I broke the club's spending record against splashing out 3.75 million on Warren Barton from Wimbledon before I finally delivered the player the fans were waiting for, England striker Les Ferdinand. I met Les at a beautiful hotel in Hertfordshire called the West Park Lodge, an old favourite of mine from my England days. He was accompanied by his agent and we spent the entire dinner talking football. Of course, Les knew I had come to sign in and he must have also known that we had agreed a fee with Queen's Park Rangers. Earlier that day, he'd been at Aston Villa to talk to Brian Little. He liked what he'd seen, and now it was up to me to persuade him that Newcastle had more to offer. I started off on the track I'd used for Robert Lee. Once more, redrawing the map of the British Isles, I told Les that time... <laughs> Les, that time-wise, Birmingham was no closer to London than Newcastle was. I reasoned that he, that he would have a two-hour drive to reach London from Birmingham if he was lucky, whereas only the one-hour flight from Newcastle. What a genius. I liked Les Ferdinand from the start. The only time we ever crossed swords was when I signed Alan Shearer a year later. Les was the only player who knew about it in advance. We were due to fly off to Bangkok on a close season tour when I went to the airport as if I was going with the team. I took Les to one side and told him I wasn't coming because I was signing Shearer. He was stunned, but I was quick to assure him that I had no intention of selling him to recover the money. But I did have a request to make to Les. I wanted the number nine shirt for Alan and asked if he'd let me have it. He was shocked and just said yes. I could see he was disappointed, but I pointed out all the pluses, notably that Alan could take him where he wanted to go, particularly the international front with England. I slipped away, leaving Les with a long plane journey to think about what I'd asked. One of the lads discovered what was going on. They took the mickey out of him. 
And when he finally sat down to talk about his number nine shirt again, he had a bit of a change of heart. He said he didn't want to take his shirt away from anyone else in the team. I had to say that if giving Allen number nine was the way to get a great player to Newcastle, then we should do it. Arguing over shirt numbers was ridiculous. Les then started asking for ludicrous numbers like 99 and 69. But in the end, common sense prevailed and he accepted the number 10. Lee Clark wasn't happy about it. It was so much better when we just had 1 to 11 numbers. Now you can't even lay the shirts out in the dressing room too early in case it gives away who is in and who's out. The game's moved on so much commercially that, sadly, I cannot see that it would be possible to go back to the old numbering. If we did, we'd have to sew the players' names in for every game, and another money-making exercise for the shops to have corresponding numbers and names on the back of the replica shirt. When we signed Nicky Pastavilicius from Crete, we had to sew shoulder pads in to get his name on. It cost us more to make the shirts than it did to sign him. Most people thought his name was Vasi because the Papa was on the other side and the Liu was around the other. We didn't sell too many of Nicky's shirts because they were so expensive, but Raw Fox was a good signing for the supporters. They only had to pay for three letters, which was considered a bargain. That was probably why it cost more than two million from Norwich. At one stage, the team was more like a wildlife park. As well as Fox, we also had a peacock, Guppy, Venison, there was also no truth in the rumour that we were also after Tony Bird from Cardiff, Steve Ball from Wolves, and Scott Partridge and David Seal of Bristol City, Mike Salmon of Charlton, or Peter Swan from Plymouth. <laughs> David Ginola bought from Paris Saint-Germain for the 95-96 season for 2.5 million he was one of those players the fans could put on a pedestal with his model looks, flow and locks, and abundance of skill. Terry McDermott completed the signing whilst I was in America on holiday after the deal seemed to have fallen through. I didn't know David properly, having only seen him on television, but I knew he was better than anyone we had on the left wing. As I'm sure Spurs fans will see over the 97-98 season, David has so much to offer on all fronts. Although football is undoubtedly his first love, David is very much at home following his other interests, like modelling, driving and playing golf. I could have sold him for a profit in the summer of 96. I was at Sunningdale preparing to play in a golf day when his manager called me with the news that Barcelona were ready to pay over three million for him. It was what David had always wanted, his ultimate ambition. But I told his manager to forget it. There was nothing to discuss. I wasn't looking to sell David Ginola. He had been with us only for a year and I felt he could step up his season and become a truly great player but the manager's agent insisted on coming anyway. Never mind his dream, what about Newcastle's? A year earlier, the agent had been telling me that David was a young 28, now all of a sudden he was pushing through and apparently I had to sell whilst I had the chance. I didn't know David Ginola, he said. He wouldn't play for me if I blocked the move. I knew my player. The very suggestion that a footballer would not play immediately signalled the end of a meeting which had already gone on too long as far as I was concerned. Get 8 million and I'll consider the deal I snapped. In other words, no chance. As a matter of courtesy, I informed the board and talked to David when he'd come to see me on his return from the close season break. I did feel for him because I knew how much he wanted to go to Barcelona and he'd nearly moved to the new camp before. But when he was up for sale, we had been the club to move for him, not Barcelona. And he didn't let me down the way the agent suggested. He was troubled by niggling injuries and didn't find top form again, but there was nothing wrong with his commitment. <laughs> Sounds like the agent did the thing that he said he was going to do and not play for you again. But honor, honourable, honor, very honourable. Committed. 
Had I known I was going to sign Alan Shearer, I wouldn't have signed Tino Aspria. But nonetheless, he made a valuable contribution to Newcastle. His teammates liked playing with him and the fans loved watching. You just have to live with the way he is. He's capable of doing the most incredible things, but asking to pass the ball five yards and he might just fall over. Those rubbery legs of his are a source of entertainment in themselves. And in Colombia, they earned him the nickname El Polpo. The octopus. It didn't help that he was slow to learn English. He came to rely too heavily on his interpreter and that delayed his progress. He was a nice guy. And another story, he ran up a bill of 10 grand in the club shop to take home to his friends and family and then was caught for excess baggage at the airport and had to leave them all behind. Tino wasn't too hot on timekeeping in general. He used to turn up at 10.15am with a big coat freezing cold with hardly enough time to get changed for training. I used to tell him in Spanish he was very late Tarde, muy tarde, Tino. One day, I asked him why he always cut it so fine. Terry and I pointed out that Anshin was there an hour before we started every single day. He said nothing, just sat there, looked at us with those great big eyes. A couple of days later, Terry and I had a game of head tennis. We were interrupted at 9.20am by Tino. We went over to congratulate him. Pleased that our little lecture had worked. Tino, muy bien. Tino looked baffled. Suddenly we remembered that the clocks had gone back the day before and obviously he hadn't known about it. Far from turning over a new leaf, he was actually five minutes later than usual by his watch. And that concludes this week's reading of Kevin Keegan, my autobiography from 1997. We've run through chapters such as Return to St James's Park, Ride in the Black and White Tiger, Championship or Bust, Building the squad, capturing the cream, and my personal favourite, Mystic Kev. Thank you for listening to Football Post Apocalypto. Before I listen to a Touchline Run podcast, I like a little bit of the bubble air. There you go. That's it for another week. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to go follow us on social media at a touchline rant on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere you get your media socially. A touchline rant. Uh, thank you very much to Bendigedig Media, again our producers of this podcast, who have been really helpful in getting this audio out to you every week, despite us being socially distanced. And. Uh, Yeah, we'll see you again next week. Thanks. The podcast you just heard was me using anger. If you want a podcast.